0: Hi, my name's Andy Chamberlain, and this is the Creative Writers Tool Belt, the podcast that gives you practical, accessible advice that you can apply straight away to your own writing. You can find out more at my website, andrewjchamberlain.com, where you'll also find out about the Creative Writers Toolbelt Handbook, which condenses all of the very best advice and insight from my expert guests and me in one place. I hope you enjoy this episode of the Creative Writers Toolbelt podcast, and it's helpful to you on your writing journey. And welcome to episode 129 of the Creative Writer's Tour Belt. My guest for this episode is the scientist and independent author C. John Arthur. Chris has a PhD in biochemistry and now works in medical research, but he has also found time over the years to act as a reviewer for the British Science Fiction Association's critical journal Vector and has more recently contributed to Focus, the BSFA's writer's magazine. He returned to writing short fiction a few years ago and has had stories published in small press anthologies, the latest being The Mask Maker of Venice. He is now based in Sweden and his thoughts on science fiction and science generally are chronicled occasionally at www.blog.cjohnarthur.com Chris was a contributor to my Creative Writers Toolbelt Handbook Project and in this conversation we both give a perspective on the joys and challenges of writing a novel, finding motivation to finish the first draft and how writing success can be achieved with inspiration, desperation and discipline. It was a joy to compare notes on the writing process with Chris and I had a great time talking to him. I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation. Here it is. Okay, so Chris, welcome to the Creative Writers Belt. It's great to have you with us. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Now, I want to start by just asking you a little bit about the early influences on you. And you and I have talked about reading influences and books and things, but we can expand that out as well to, to other cultural influences on you when you were young. So it might be TV, it might be film, whatever. What were the sort of things that you remember most vividly from that time?
1: In terms of the reading, I was a very shy child, and so I did a lot of reading as a, a kind of escapism from an early age. Okay. I, I read basically every Enie Blyton book in the school library except the girls' school books which didn't really grab me as a, a small boy no. I read other kind of children's books were in the house which from my parents the Arthur Ransom books well as an Amazon probably the most oh, famous yeah. one yeah and then in terms of what I'm now writing science fiction there's two kind of things that really influenced that one was a writer which I th- he was a second world war poet I think called John Putney uh, who wrote a series of books based on different days of the week, which were kind of like high tech, James Bond type things for kids, but with a lot of gadgets and, and science fictional kind of overtones to them. But the main thing, actually, and this is something that was flagged by a number of UK writers i heard, Stephen Baxter, um, Peter Hamilton, uh, even Alistair Reynolds and Ian McDonald all cite Thunderbirds yes. which is a TV series that was on which I showed you how young I was that we were allowed it was in two parts over the six o'clock news and we were able to watch the second part if if we got ready for bed, um,
0: in the news, which was I think about ten minutes in those days. I'm um, sure you managed to to get your pajamas on and clean your teeth and get get back downstairs in ten minutes.
1: So this was a this was a huge um, motivation for us. I think my yes. mother thought it was a very good way of getting us through the bathroom at double quick speed. <laughs> But I think that Jay Anderson and the Kind of uh, introduced me to a lot of science fictional things, um, not just the reading. Later on, as a teenager, people at school were reading E.E. Doc Smith Lensman series. Oh yes. I thought, well, I'm not going to get what they're all reading, but I found E.E. Doc Smith and I love the covers. I'm always a sucker for good science fictional covers and it was done by Chris Foss who I later found out never, ever read any of the books which he did illustrations for. So the covers were really luring you into something completely different. So I read of like Space and another kind of E. Doc Smith books. And then I, I looked at the front pages and I noticed that these were written in the nineteen thirties. And I was thinking, I thought this was new. This is <laughs> this is very old. And I asked a librarian, local librarian, and she looked at me um, over her glasses and she said There's better writers than the Doc Smith. How about Asimov? So she guided me to Isaac Asimov, and I, I really liked Isaac Asimov. He was also um, in the profession which I went on to join, which was being a biochemist. And through him, I also, uh, in 2001 A Space Odyssey, I went into Arthur C. Clarke and mm-hmm. Heinlein some of the classics. Yes. and then at school we had a very rusty old uh, English teacher who unfortunately had to take her retirement so we got a hippie and, as an English teacher and, and so we were reading Ray Bradbury and other science fiction short stories in class and in fact uh, we may come back to this but I wrote probably my first real science fiction story for him and he loved it so that was my kind of teenage years I also read a lot of short fiction again from the library so there was Hugo Award winners, Nebula Award winners which are two major science fiction awards, various best of the year. So I read a lot of probably or hopefully quite good short stories mm. uh, during that time. And then i graduated. The other major thing that happened in terms of my reading was that one of my dad's colleagues decided to sell all his science fiction books at a knockdown price of £12, which, I mean, it's about 35 years ago now. But still, it was not much money even in those days. So I inherited this huge, I think there was about 30 or 40 books. And I can't remember who all the authors were, but that was then my reading for some time. I, I think I discovered Roger Zelazny through that.
0: Okay, yes.
1: And then I got on to the person who became my favorite author for many years, and that was Ursula Gwynn. And through her, Mm. I discovered that there was many different female writers. Kay Wilhelm, um, Joan Vinge, C.G. Cherry, Vonda McIntyre, and in Britain, um, Mary Gentle. Um, There was also fantasy writer Judith Tarr. Hmm. And then somebody who's known as James Tiptree Jr., who was in fact Alice Sheldon, um, a female writer masquerading as as a man. And I'd read quite a few of Damon Knight's Orbit anthologies, and I discovered a guy called Gene Wolfe who is probably my favorite writer now. And I liked his short fiction, but I ended up reading the back cover of one of his books, the first books of the Book of the New Sun, his Tetralogy. And Ursula Gwynne had written on the back wolf is so good he leaves me speechless and for my favorite author to recommend someone like that made me buy the book straight away and i've read most of wolf's but not all of his work and i would say yeah he's probably my favorite writer and the book of the new sun is probably my favorite science fiction Mm. uh, novel but in fact my favorite novel isn't even science fiction um
0: okay so what's that
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is uh, *To Kill a Mockingbird*. Uh, okay, yes, although it, yes. Although it has some of the some of the same things, it's the viewpoint characters that Wolf often uses, which I really like, and I think that's one of the things that appeals to me in the in *To Kill a Mockingbird*. Using a young girl as a as a viewpoint character mm-hmm. is is a way of bringing out truths in a different way. And then I had a friend who loved Ian Banks and I, oh, loved, yes, yeah. I, I loved Gene Wolfe and we sat in his study and found out he loved science fiction, but this is who he read and this is who I read. So we kind of swapped readers. So I then read Ian Banks and, and then a lot of what's now called the New Space Opera, um, but also things like uh, Dan Simmons' Hyperion books. Yeah. And the other, other person who i followed really... I haven't managed to read all his books because when he started writing full time, he wrote faster than I can read. <laughs> and that's Steve Baxter. I read his first. A publication in Interzone, which was I think called Zeely Flower. He was an S.M. Baxter then. And then mm. I read his first novel and then I found out that actually his brother was a best friend of my wife at the university. And so she tried to read some of the books as well. But we come back to, she's my first reader, we can come back to that later, but mm. she's not a great science fiction fan. And and Steve writes some pretty strong, hard uh, SF. Yes, yeah. he does, yeah. yeah. So these are the people that I've have uh, followed and um, as I say I've read a lot of
0: short fiction too. It's quite a range isn't it? I mean it it I'd say that was the kind of classic heritage in terms of background in sci-fi for for over many years really the it's a, it's a good summation of some of the best writers of the last well 40 50 years that you've just guessed there. Now I want to just talk a little bit about writing as well with yeah. you. So Uh, You and I have something in common in that we are both beavering away whenever the time is, whenever time permits on some fiction of our own. And I wondered if you could tell us, first of all, a little bit about the novel that you're working on. We're going to explore some of the challenges that both of us have found with our respective novels in a moment. but Perhaps you could tell us a little bit about the project that you're working on.
1: Yeah, I mean, I saw myself as a short story writer and not a a novelist. And I thought that probably I would write a novel when I retire. But I mean, in Sweden now, we're up to 67 and they're talking about 70. So basically, that's not likely. I realized that was not likely um, to happen if I waited that long. My writing career is such that in my early 20s I wrote a lot and then I had to make a choice between writing and my day job. Not so much that it was taking the time, but I found... We, something you've talked about in the podcast is this, this idea of vocation, and I, I really felt mm. that my vocation was to be a scientist. So I kind of laid it all down, and then kind of in the beginning of my uh, 50s, I started writing short fiction, and as with you, we, I published a few uh, short short stories. Yes. In, in this time of waiting and thinking that one day I will get back to writing, I was writing short stories in my head and never writing them down. And that was partly because I couldn't get to sleep. And there was a couple of longer short stories, which I, I now have in my kind of... Um, I use Scrivener to, to write with, and we can come back to that. But I have drafted the, uh, the plots of these two short stories now. But they were the background for the novel. Mm-hmm. And so these... These two stories were set in a future Stockholm, and they were concerning a guy who was had been a game developer, uh, which is a big thing um, in Sweden. There's a lot of people working in the games industry. And gone into a kind of more altruistic role of, of rescuing people who were kind of trapped in virtual reality. And he, he links up with a professor from Stockholm University, a psychologist. And that, that was the first story. And then the second story, they may meet up with a detective. And this detective, so we're set here now about 30 years in the future, this detective was somebody I thought, he could be the start of something bigger Mm -hmm. than these short stories. So I thought I I, I would like to try and develop something longer uh, with him as a central character. I mean, what what I could do now, I'll read you what I wrote as a, theoretical back cover copy yeah and that'll give us an idea of basically what it's about and then we can we can go back and uh, take out some of the themes it's it's a detective mystery story so uh, one of the things (laughs) I'll be careful about is not to just dump a load of spoilers here but I think that this this uh, back copy may gives us some picture of of what the book is about and so uh, what I wrote is this as Stockholm detective Inspector Dan Halberry prepares for the increasingly outre performance art produced by the city's graduating art students, he is confronted with a harrowing truth by a woman recently resuscitated from death. Until this encounter, murder was the worst crime Halberry had to contend with. There is a human drama being played out in a secret wing of a private hospital where people are losing their identities an attempt to cover an even greater conspiracy. To solve this mystery, Harberry needs to find the victims and try to piece together their lives both in and out of the virtual worlds they have lived and died in. They, in turn, are relentlessly hunted by a very real assassin, anxious to complete his mission, a task entrusted to him by employers whose nature remains hidden even from him. He has never failed. Ooh. So that gives you. <laughs> yeah, that, that's good. That, as always, with back cover copies, you're not giving the entire plot away, you're no. giving some tasters. And, and but this kind of covers the first third of the book in terms of uh, the things that come up. So the, the history of writing it is that I went to a writer's workshop in the London World Science Fiction Convention, um, now four years ago. Yeah. And an agent came in and happy that people pitched to him. And I was there with my short fiction. But I had this back cover copy uh, of this novel, which I had not written the word off actually and he was really interested and we corresponded for a while and he said just just send me a few chapters when you've read them uh, written them and we'll have a look and that I know that usually agents want the whole thing mm. so this was re- really encouraging to me Absolutely. but then I had a work <laughs> crisis and and <laughs> I didn't write the three chapters or the few chapters and then the next real issue was that I kind of knew how the story ended I knew basically the first third of it and i knew one major incident that needed to happen but i I knew that if i sent a few chapters the next step would probably be some kind of outline of the whole book and i couldn't give it i didn't have a clue so (laughs) that was the first challenge
0: was to, to try and do that okay so you told us a little bit about pitching the idea to an agent if we fast forward to now what stage state is the book in now? Have you have you got a first draft? Are you on a second draft? Are you still working on the first draft? Where are we at? So
1: I'm on about page three hundred and a paperback book, according to Scrivener. Okay, about one hundred and ten thousand words. And probably I've got another fifteen thousand to write. Okay. So so basically, the breakthrough for me for the book was first of all to recognise that I wanted to do it over a year, so it has a it starts and finishes at the same time of year, and that really helped me. Um, and then the second thing was that I realised that I could structure in three parts, uh, and those parts are. The they now called um, augmented reality, virtual reality, and reality. And reality mm. is when uh, <laughs> it's the cold shower at the end, in a way. <laughs> so where I'm at in terms of the writing is part one and two are done, and they're the biggest parts. Right. Uh, because it's clear, it's clearly segmented like that, uh, part one has gone through a few drafts. And in fact, the very first chapter which is a prologue has gone through the most drafts and I actually sent that in to a writers festival in Stockholm and linked to that they did an international writing competition for the first five pages of your novel so I stuck in the first five pages which by this time been (laughs) worked quite a quite a lot so the sixth or seventh draft I guess there and much to my surprise it was long-listed so from right. about 250 entries, it, it got to the last 30. So for me, that was a huge motivation to finish the book because yes. I thought, well, and this is a literary competition. So, I mean, and it was a literary piece that won. Um, but the judge made this comment that uh, he was surprised at the, at the quality of the genre writing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I me think that says it, says it all. And, it? and a few others, I guess. But um, so, so that first part is very much fine-tuned. The second part, I my wife reads uh, is the first reader, um, and she's read it now and got comments. So I will implement them, and mm-hmm. then I go out to some more beta readers, and then I will rework the middle section. And so now I'm on the last section. I'm about six thousand words into that. I feel I'm on the you've got to the top of the hill, and now you're just letting gravity guide you. To the bottom. Some of the most difficult things, I think, I'm over, and I'm coasting. Is the wrong word when you're writing, but it feels much more relaxed and much and uh, much freer. So mm-hmm. I hope by Christmas I've got through the whole lot. Yeah, um, and and some of and there will be different stages of draft
0: depending on the sanction. Okay. So earlier on, you kind of briefly alluded to the fact that there was a point where. You really struggled with the overview of it and the planning for it. So I wondered yes. if you could tell us a little bit more about how you do go about planning and whether you think of yourself as more of a planner or a panzer when it comes when it comes to novel writing.
1: There's a quote actually from Frederick Pohl, who's uh, now passed away, but he lived to a ripe old age, science fiction writer, and he was talking about writing. He said about about writing. He said, "Well, there's a way of inspiration." Um, he said that that, that that can be good, that helps, but it's not there most of the time. Uh, <laughs> I said, the second way, which he said can be very useful, is the way of desperation when you have a deadline. He said, but the, the, the way that you really do write is the way of discipline. Yes. Um, and I, I think that for me, in all my short fiction writing, I've been a planner. So i pretty well known the story before yeah. I said to write it. Yeah. But with a novel, I had pretty well the first third of it. So the, the section I call augmented reality. And basically a key scene in the middle section and probably um, the very end of the book. And nothing there. And as I said, I didn't go back to the Asian with anything because I, hand on heart, <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't then generate something that was a complete story. Okay. So what happened was that I got stuck. I, I thought, well, I just keep on writing. I can write the first bit. I, I know how that goes, and I know the, I know how it ends the first. So I just keep on writing and hope something comes into my brain. And nothing came into my brain for quite <laughs> a long time. And so basically, I thought I was a planner, but I ended up being a panzer. I, I had to pants it because... I, I didn't know. But when the structure came into place, and I realized that I wanted to spend time in these virtual worlds, which the characters have been part of and have been excluded from and returned to, then uh, things started to fall into place. And then I realized someone had to die. I mean, (laughs) more than one person dies in this book, I have to say. But there was a critical, I realized, aha, this person needs to die. And when I yeah. realized that this person needs to die, then the whole rest of the book just came almost like a revelation. And uh, and then I had an idea where to go. I would say now, um, looking back on writing the novel, that I'm a, I'm a kind of answer with signposts. <laughs> so the way I work, the way I write, is I tend to work from images. So the whole book is sprang from uh, an image but uh, the, there wasn't enough images, if you like, to to tell a story. But I think it's like walking up a mountain in the mist. And sometimes it feels like they're writing a book that you're, you're kind of lost in the mist. But mm. in Britain anyway, you have these cairns piles of rocks every so often in mountains, and you can get to the next rock. And I, I kind of feel, yeah, I, I need to have these cairns, these signposts at intermittent times, and then I can, I can pants it more. But, for example, now, the, the last part of the book, I basically know what's in every chapter and what needs to happen. So that's fairly planned uh, now. In the middle... I was pantsing it a lot but that was sort of fun as well so it's a mixture for me
0: sure and it sounds as if you're not perfectly planning it but you do have on on your journey on your book journey you have waypoints or you have particular yeah particular waypoints I suppose I'd call them along the way that you that that help you just to kind of navigate along the, the, the whole thing Mm. now you said there as well that visual things are very important to you a lot of writers talk about this this distinction between character being a story being character driven and a story being plot driven and and i think actually sometimes visual cues and stuff can come into that but would you consider yourself particularly one or the other are you a plot person or a character person or is that not really a distinction that works for you
1: yeah, again, at this writing workshop and um, the Stockholm Writers' Festival, I went to a writing workshop and everybody was going around the table saying what they were good at at writing. And, and that's what we're supposed to say. And I thought, oh, I don't know what. And I think in the end, probably, my talent is storytelling. And, of course, that's a synthesis of of character and plot. In writing my short fiction, I think one of the things that I've enjoyed, it's usually been quite well plotted, but the thing that's brought enjoyment to me is quite often how the characters have developed. Uh, And it's interesting, actually, probably the hardest thing so far on this writing journey was to give this first draft of this first section to my wife mm. who is not a science fiction reader and i don't give her quite a lot of my things to read because it's just too out there in terms of uh, she reads mostly literary fiction and women's fiction so i gave this back and and she said you know i'm really enjoying your story Oh, it was great. Um, and that's a good sign also that it's not just going to be pigeonholed into genre, that it can appeal to somebody uh, outside uh, who out, reads outside of genre. But then I said, well, you know, we, she liked the, the plot. And she said, actually, I, I really like the characters. Uh, okay. So I, I haven't really thought about that, but I think in the process of the fact that I enjoy the, the development of characters in, in the context of writing the story, I think that that must come across. And, and probably there's a kind of breath of air that comes in. Three of the main characters already had quite a lot of backstory. Because I'd I'd written in my head these two other stories, mm, yeah. So I'm drawing on quite a lot of things that were worked out about those those particular people, including mm-hmm. the, de- the detective. So, but I haven't in my short fiction done so much character planning and um, more
0: plot planning.
1: Yeah, that that's sense. that's my experience.
0: Right, and obviously you've you've alluded to some of the challenges that you've had with the novel already, but I wonder if you could tell us what you think is the most challenging aspect of writing this book so far for you?
1: Probably time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or lack of Uh, it. Yeah,
1: The lack of it. If you think about the whole thing, it can be overwhelming. I think it was Jesus who encouraged people to take one day at a time. And uh, I mean... Probably many other philosophers have done that as well, and I, I I think that you have to take a day at a time. I was very encouraged by one of your previous guests, um, uh, Derek Kunsen, is it? Derek
0: Kunsken, yes.
1: Yeah, Kunsken, yes. who talked about well he, the goals he set for writing, which was well you know 350
0: words a day. I, yeah, and when I heard yeah. that,
1: I was that was liberating um, <laughs> because that's probably what I manage on a good week
0: <laughs> and but for for many people that's it isn't it really because life is so busy and and writing is not the day job and there are there's there's work there's family there's stuff that happens and it's very hard isn't it to 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 kind of find the time I when I was writing down how I would answer that question I also put down time I mean there was some technical issues that I had and have with the book that I'm working on but time And having the time to do the job is really, really difficult. So I guess what I want to do is just mention by way of comparison the novel that I'm working on at the moment. So, So mine is a science fiction story set at different periods of time, actually. First of all, in about 10 or 15 years time when we discover an exoplanet, which is actually perfect or seems near perfect. For us as humanity, I think exoplanets have been in the astronomical news, certainly recently, and there's something that I find fascinating. So then the story progresses around how we might go to this exoplanet and what might happen there. And some of the ways in which humanity could impact on a planet... And some of the ways in which that planet might impact back on humanity. But when I was thinking about the, the things that are the most difficult in that, there are younger people who are main characters in that. And, and, yeah. and by which I mean probably people who age between 14 and 17, that sort of age. And mm-hmm. writing those kinds of characters in an authentic way is quite a challenge, I think. And there's a whole, we won't go into now. there's a whole issue around that. And the other thing that I find challenging, apart from the time thing, which we've both mentioned, is, is point of view and really focusing on point of view and i i have asked a number of my expert editor and agent guests to to talk about point of view and they've given me some some great answers but for me getting point of view right in this story because it's my i've got quite an ensemble cast in it that's quite a challenge as well
1: one of the things that i made a decision in the in the middle section of the book i could have focused on a on a woman character and uh, and i said to my wife you know can I write a woman? I mean, mm. re- really? I mean, I've, I've read some of my wife's fiction and sometimes when they're writing men, it's not very realistic. So, and I, I would be far less qualified than the writers I'm, I'm thinking about. So I made a decision. I, I, I had a couple and I could follow in the heads of, of one of them. And I decided to chicken out really and go for the man rather than the woman and then then ironically in the middle of of all this I have a whole section with two female characters, (laughs) one of whom's quite young, that happened and uh, one of the things that is, is difficult that I share with you is uh, having So the first part of the novel basically follows in, through the head of the detective, his point of view. Yes, and I yes. have some glimpses of the characters who are going to play a major role in the main section of the book, uh, or the middle section of the book. And uh, I don't know, it's down the line, somebody might disagree with this, but I'm writing past tense, classic third-person viewpoint. Mm. But I then I then uh, switched um, for the characters to make them, to distinguish them, uh, I, I switched into a present tense uh, viewpoint to give an immediacy to the character. But in the middle section, I'm playing with a lot of uh, a lot of different characters. And, and the big challenge, now thinking about it, the big challenge in the middle section of the book is that I have. How many? Uh, one, two, three, four or five different character streams going on. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I, I wondered how to write that. So I thought what I will do is I will just write the whole story of each character. But in the writing, I, will, I know that I need to have some dramatic pauses so that I can intercut. I can patch the whole thing together so that... We don't just follow one character in their entire journey, but we cut between the different characters. Yeah, that yeah. I think is the biggest challenge I have of the whole book because it's a structural challenge, how to get that right. Um, and I solve that by basically breaking down all the scenes and looking at the word number so that they're kind of uh, the word number was kind of balanced. And then I looked at how the story flowed and to intercut uh, in the different sections. And I, I used word, uh, table and word in the end to. And <laughs> when I'd done all that, I realized there was one thread that was out of sync in terms of the timeline.
0: And oh I yeah. yeah.
1: Some, um, I had to do some, not major, but substantial plot uh rearrangement in order to to get these pieces mm. of jigsaw together, so I think that that was my wife said to me you're very, you're very ambitious <laughs> I yeah think, i mean uh, I think
0: this is that that's an area actually where I think planning really can be important, even if you've pantsed a first draft and, as some people do, so think when you start to think about timelines and consistency and and also pacing and and structure so um i mean in in my case, most of my cast are together for a lot of the book so so I'm not swapping between scenes, but there are occasions where the the my main group of protagonists do split up, and I do have to have a number of different timelines but but there i'm I'm beginning to think now about absolutely consistency and i'm i am I've got spreadsheets and whatever else going on just so that i i don't somehow have the same person in two places or that that kind of thing going on but also i think with a novel much more than a short story and uh, derek Kunskin has also made this point in in an episode you have to really pay attention to the rhythm of the thing and the structure of the thing so that one particular plot line doesn't just get abandoned or 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 it, it it just feels unnaturally overloaded in the book or underrepresented. that again i think is 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 a real challenge it's something that where I am at so I've done my first draft I, in fact I've done two drafts of the book but I know I've got loads of work still to do on it and that will be one of the areas where I'm going to have to just pay attention and see if, if the overall structure and balance of the thing is right
1: yeah because mine is in discrete sections I've kind of looked at that now but I, I need my beta readers to come in especially yeah. people uh, that uh, are more familiar with science fiction I think when you're intercutting the the danger is you you can cut too soon or too late. You want to keep enough of the story flow um, when you're jumping between different lines. And uh, so far, the only beta reader, my wife, who's who's ready, it seems to work. But I, I will I will need feedback on that and yeah. how that whether that's working and whether I'm actually doing it at the right place.
0: And that was not. another thing that I was going to actually ask you about because I wanted to know what what kind of resources you used in terms of critique groups beta readers that sort of thing so when and and other external advice and when do you when would you start to to bring that into to to look at so when would you start to bring people in to look at your work right from the beginning when I started writing my
1: 20s I went on a creative writing night school
0: the university
1: I was studying and didn't actually do anything like that it wasn't fashionable in those days (laughs) Um, but the the local authority did a creative writing course and it was it was really helpful Showed me I couldn't write, but then showed me how to write. <laughs> so it wasn't a negative thing. As I mentioned the World Science Fiction Convention, so I went to a writer's workshop there, and that was really helpful. Again, I got some, I got some really useful feedback. This is one of the questions you kind of uh, muted uh, in our correspondence was how does my job influence uh, the writing? I mean, being a a scientist. Actually, it's a lot to do with testing the hypothesis and being rigorous about testing. So I've always gone through and, and... and tried to get, well, uh, where am I at um, in my writing? So, I mean, one big help that I got was, I think if you work in a genre like science fiction and fantasy, there's often conventions, uh, and uh, in the, these often writers are accessible. So I, I bumped into, to get a long story short, Ian MacDonald, who's been one of your previous guests. Yes. Yeah. And, um, we were thrown together because in science fiction conventions you, you have people who take control of the time and look after the speaker and I was the first one I'd been to and I didn't know anybody from Adam so I volunteered to help and I got thrown in the deep end being his um, timekeeper. Oh, okay. uh, and, and then two critical things happened one was that this was being televised and I had no idea about that <laughs> and then the second thing was that Ian went off off script and started interviewing the audience and I had to thrust uh, the TV producer thrust this microphone so I ran around so because of that serendipitous uh, we ended up getting talking and I, I, I talked to him I said I'm starting writing now and these are the issues and he was really helpful in giving me hints about Scrivener which we've mentioned already as a as a useful tool for for organizing, especially a novel. He gave me markers about how to make, measure my progress, like you know, once you start getting rejection letters where they make comments on them, then you're making progress. Mm. So that that's been very helpful. So I think if you're writing in the science fiction and fantasy area, particularly and I guess in crime and, and other genres, to go to the conventions is really helpful. Um, writing conferences we already I already Already mentioned in terms of the the actual nitty-gitty of writing i fairly soon joined an online writing group and i restarted writing and that was very helpful earlier on that's really works with short stories so the novel is not i can't really push that that way and it's it's gone a little bit in abeyance but that was very important the other thing i and of course we cannot not avoid mentioning creative writers' tool belt. So there are <laughs> online resources like the one we're now listening to, um, which are really helpful, I think, in guiding you. And I really like the way that you've interviewed, um, not me, but other writers. Um, I've learned a lot because you, you learn more of the process from the people who are on the kind of coalface of the writing. The other thing besides Books and editing. Yeah, one thing I did when my writing group kind of folded, I decided uh, I had a short story which I thought was the best short story I read and I decided to send it to a professional editor. This is a guy called uh, Jeff Gerke who's worked In the publishing industry, he's an acquisitions editor. He's had a science fiction fantasy book line. He's written novels. So he really knows one end from the business from the other. Mm. And I I used him really as a kind of litmus test of where my writing was. And I think that especially if you're getting a lot of rejections or you really feel you're not making progress, I mean, it costs money, of course, um, but I think it's very helpful to go to a pro editor and get a really constructive feedback. I also got that, I have to say, through the World Science Fiction Convention Writers' Workshop. I had pro-writers who, were <laughs> for example, a, an award-winning writer went through my manuscript and page after page he said, nothing's happening here, nothing's happening here, nothing's happening here. <laughs> uh, you have to it, be a bit big-skinned it, it was deliberate, the, 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 this book series, which I probably will self publish um, it, it is deliberately a slow paced detective future detective series so it was deliberate like that i have the first thing i wrote which went into a fanzine um, was conflict and uh, almighty war from from line 1 so it was just a style thing. But I, yeah. I think that I got a, a lot of help. And one of the four reviewers, actually, we've kept in touch with and he's helped me. These are the things that I found really helpful.
0: OK. Now, you and I have also had conversation, or well, email conversations in the past about effective ways to put things that you believe in. And that could be political things, faith things, religious things, things that actually are important to you into stories in a way which are not preachy or not destroying the story or they're not too too pushy what what have you learned do you think with the short stories that you've written over the years and with this novel about effectively presenting the things that you believe or the things that you think are important in an authentic way in a story
1: i think it depends on what you're writing for to some extent I mean, my great hero is uh, Gene Wolfe, who is a Christian, and, and that comes through in some of his writing, but he's not pushing it. Uh, and that's my background as well. And I think that you had um, a quote from Pete Doctor, who is now, I think he's heading the creative side of Pixar. Yes, he is. Well, I think he
0: got he's part of a two-person team doing that. Yeah, job, yeah. Yes. Uh, and, you know,
1: and he's not been shy about saying that, you know, he, he's actually from a Christian background, but said very pointedly that, you know, that this isn't the venue to preach, uh, to, yeah. to, to cross a yeah. view. There is something which uh, you and I know about, which is called Christian fiction, um, which is much more written for, a specific Christian market. Um, and I think that in those kind of contexts, you can you can say and, and do th- things which you wouldn't do if you were looking for a broader audience. Uh, I mean, I write what I write. I don't try to censor myself. I mean, for example, the heart of the novel, which is kind of a spoiler, but anyway, I will say it. I have a uh, a friend who, for many years, has worked with people in prostitution, They're meeting women on the streets and trying to help them. Yeah. And something she said to me is is really at the heart of what I've written. And it's not, although I come from a Christian background, it's not a, a, a Christian message, it, but it is a message, a human message, I think. And and what, what she said was that. of the women were trapped in prostitution because they were intravenous drug users. And so to help them, she needed to help them to get to um, treatment centers. But the other half of the women who uh, were stuck in prostitution and, and didn't seem to be able to come out of it, Um, It took them a long time to really work out what it was, and basically every single one of them had been sexually abused. So, for me, that was quite shocking, but it also uh, put a perspective on this whole area, which is now very big in terms of sexual trafficking, and and that's something which the book uh, goes into. So, here I'm... uh, that was a kind of driving force in writing the, in mm. writing the book. But it, it's, I'm not making a, any judgments through it. I'm seeing how characters... So the characters I've chosen are basically characters that are peripheral in Swedish society. So I have a criminal, I have a, a virtual sex worker, I have an illegal immigrant, I have somebody who has a kind of handicap. And these are, these are people who are on the fringes of society. And so in a way, I'm hoping that I'm giving them a voice as well.
0: What I find interesting, certainly amongst the, the stuff that you've just said there, is that actually this, this issue of sex trafficking and exploitation that, that you've described, your, your research for that or the, the, the kind of raw material that you're drawing on from that is not anything abstract. It's, it's a real person who can relate and, and talk to you about real incidents. Hmm. So uh, that that for me I think is one of the one of the re- the best ways in which to tackle different issues and controversial issues and and, and they could be there could be political issues I suppose but it but that I think really boosts that really helps to present an authentic picture of it because you're talking about you're drawing on Real lives and real incidents that that you that you've heard about, and that you, and that that for me, I think is that's just that's an important aspect to this.
1: I mean, I think that in the end, um, a novel is about something about the human condition. Yes, and uh, I think that th- that human. I mean, of course, in science fiction, of course, we have aliens and and uh, and so on. But I think that what we can or, or what can drive is. A care for humanity, uh, and an attempt to understand humanity, and, mm-hmm. and when humanity goes wrong, which of course is you know these um, people that get trapped into these uh, horrendous situations. So I think that I think in coming back to putting beliefs or politics across, I think as long as you you get down to the human level and that you are not broadcasting a politic a, a particular Political message or a religious message or something like that but you're actually Mm. saying this is a human being and this is their experience yeah and and of course people have different experiences and including spiritual experiences so i think that's
0: that's part of it so we're coming towards the end of our conversation now and i want to finish on a i guess an encouraging note and and just thinking about things that people can take away key points from it so i just want to ask you first of all if there are perhaps one or two really important lessons for you that you've learnt from the craft, both with your short fiction and the novel. If there were if there were just one or two things that you would to say to people, these are really important, you need to bear them in mind and think about them. What would they be?
1: I remember there's a quote, I think it was Julian Barnes I heard on BBC Radio maybe 30 odd years ago, mm. um, which I, I always kept with me. So he's a literary writer. I'm mm. pretty sure it was him. And he said, well, I will put persistence above talent. Yeah, <laughs> and <laughs> I sure think right. I, I think it's important to keep on going. I, the other thing I would say is that if you can't write a lot, write regularly. Yeah, um, yeah. because um, the other thing that I, uh, I I gave up to write in a way was I uh, paint, and one of the things about watercolor painting is that you have to do it quite regularly, and um, to to know when to add the paint when the the, the paper is drying to get the effect that you need to have and i think that it's better to regularly um right even if it's not very much then just try and do it in big chunks separated Mm. by weeks i think that's that's something i've learned it keeps the story active in your brain yes yeah and i think getting into a critique group of some kind is is really helpful Mm. And to have good first readers. That's uh, and, and as, as we've mentioned, there's plenty of books, and there is your um, wonderful podcast as well that people <laughs> okay. can use as a as a resource. So I I, I think there's plenty of uh, material there. I would say it's worth re- uh, listening to the beginning parts of your podcast or uh, looking at basic things so that you don't make fundamental mistakes in writing. Mm. I think mm. that will save a lot of time. I, I mean, yeah. when I was first writing in my 20s, there wasn't these kind of resources around. No, no.
0: And, um,
1: and I think that there is a lot of uh, good resources. Um, I think that draw on those. I think that they're them, they're the And keep going. And,
0: and the other thing is, do not wait until you retire to start writing. <laughs> It sounds like there's a common theme here, which is is to you know little and often and persistent. So I think you you you're kind of echoing a little bit that the, the things that Derek Derek Kinsman was saying that you you said really meant meant a lot to you mm. as well. So so that would so I I mean I would agree with with a lot of what you're saying there. I think that would be my encouragement to writers, perhaps slightly differently to what you've done, but I think it's a different book. My experience with my novel would be saying to people that actually you need to get the first draft done yeah um
1: yeah i think anyway. that the the aforementioned agent i bumped into uh, a year ago again having uh and i we did have a very long conversation and uh the first time i met him he said just send me a few chapters and his comment was finish it then send <laughs> it to me
0: <laughs> Right
1: and, and, well. and, and, and that was actually what I needed to hear, yeah, um, well you're you're uh, about ninety
0: percent eighty five ninety percent of the way there yeah, the way,
1: and I know it's going to be finished, I think that you, yes. you, you I'm not in the uh, so I think that that's I think what you're saying is is really important to get I think that throwing out a very flimsy line when you're writing and and it doesn't seem very good, and you think, my goodness me that this how where where am I going with this, yeah, but I yeah, think. Yeah throwing out just that line eventually through redrafting and rewriting you can make it to be a thicker and thicker rope which will then support <laughs> the whole thing sometimes you it's almost like a the gas or the petrols run out in the car and you're just co- you're coasting on fumes but you're still moving forward and even though it seems like rubbish at the time i think you have something that you can build on in the second draft and yes. all the third draft yeah, so i think so you're true. absolutely right yeah. uh, get it to the end of the first draft
0: okay um so how do people find out more about you and your work? That's I mean, safe.
1: I've got a I've got a blog, um, and in that blog you will see links to the uh, anthologies which have got short stories published in. Okay. So um, I have if you if you do what often you do when you see somebody's email address, stick that in and www. If you go to www cjohnarthur.com, you will just get a, a, a placeholder. But if you want to find me, it's www.blog.cjohnarthur.com. And that's John J O H N, isn't it? J O H N, and okay. Arthur is A R T H U R. Right. So what we, did, we didn't mention is so I write under a, a pen name um, and uh, the many reasons but one was that when i got married and my wife took my surname i said if i ever write again i will use your maiden name and that's why i'm called arthur
0: ah okay okay so pe- so if people are looking for you as as a writer they should be looking for c john arthur yeah yeah okay well that's brilliant okay then chris uh, thank you very much for your time it's, it's been fascinating to kind of swap stories or swap war stories even mm-hmm. um about about novel writing and to hear about your experiences and and thoughts and the resources that you think are out there all that kind of stuff so mm-hmm. thank you very much thank you all right, right. bye bless you bye thank you for listening to the creative writers tool belt podcast if you want to find out more about the podcast or me just go to my website it's andrewjchamberlain.com